Were you traumatized as a child by watching Unsolved Mysteries? Do you like to judge facial hair? <laughs> Guess what? We have a podcast for you. Can you believe it? It's called Perhaps It's You. And it is an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Samantha. I'm Liz. We're two cool mystery ants, not really, <laughs> watch an episode of Unsolved Mysteries each week. And tell you about it. We update you if any of the mysteries have been solved. We rate the episode on a scale of Robert Stacks. We can give episodes a possible five out of five Robert Stacks, although it rarely happens. Very rarely. We also complain about what everyone is wearing. And it doesn't really matter if you know anything about Unsolved Mysteries or not. You should tune in because it's the number one podcast on iTunes. Yeah, you can find us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, most podcast platforms. You can also check out our website, perhapsitsyou.com, or find us on the social medias at Perhaps It's You. Yep. And get out there and solve some mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influenced the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. Welcome back, Theoryologists. We are wrapping up our discussion of Jade Helm 15 and addressing our suspicions that it was, at the very least, used as a convenient opportunity for psychological operations training. Conversely, and more likely, the social manipulation and psychological triggers introduced with the Jade Helm operation were intrinsic of the training exercise itself intended all along within the planning of this operation. If you've not yet heard parts one and two of this discussion, I suggest you jump over and do so. For the rest of us, we'll recap. Alright, it is finally time to wrap this up. In part one of this series, I introduced you to Jade Helm 15, a joint military training exercise that was helmed by the U.S. Special Operations Command, along with subordinate SOCOMs, and executed simultaneously in multiple U.S. states in the Southwest. We experienced the months leading to the July 2015 start of the operation through the concern and public backlash witnessed in the central Texas town of Bastrop. Remember what we discovered. We found out that with the actual start of operations, the high adventure, information leaks, and media frenzy all came to an abrupt and anticlimactic halt. It seems that the only story worth telling is the story before Jade Helm ever began. That is, unless Jade Helm 15, at least some part of it, 
started much earlier than the much-publicized date of mid-July? That's a loaded question, I know, but let's review how much had occurred between March and July. By the time the training exercise had kicked off, the public had been introduced to this operation, which was touted as the largest exercise to date of its kind. The military had revealed an ominous slogan, Mastering the Human Domain, a weird, nearly esoteric logo, which included a translucent wooden clog right in the center, overlaying arrows and a sword. And just for good measure, seemingly to make sure everyone that could get worried would get worried, a field of operations map was released that identified an area of operations encompassing seven states. These states were colored either red, blue, or brown, with the blue states labeled as friendly and the red states as hostile, and the brown were leaning one way or the other. As we will remember, Texas and Utah were designated as hostile. For those of you listening that do not immediately recognize the inflammatory potential of a red-slash-blue and hostile-slash-friendly map, you may not be familiar with the standard media-friendly election maps used during U.S. elections. Review the 2012 presidential election map for results by state. I'll include a link in the show notes. In the election maps, the blue is used for those states that voted majority Democratic Party, while the red identifies those states that went majority Republican. If you overlay the map with the Jade Helm operations map, the similarities are obvious. It's not, in my assessment, coincidental that the states which voted in favor of the then-current administration were labeled friendly, while the oppositional states of Texas and Utah were red states in the election as well. Regardless of intent, the map was decidedly controversial. We could even say it was a trigger object, and it was certainly the icing on the cake of obscurity and vagaries associated with the official information being provided. Well, okay, the map was touted as leaked, but it was far too media-friendly and formatted for dissemination. The leak was definitely well-timed and seemingly intentional. I know I've dwelled heavily on the map and logo slogan items, I realized that those weren't the only claims and accusations being levied by the public, especially amongst the more extreme views, but these are the official aspects released, official imagery and operational documents. These are the basis for the other unsubstantiated concerns, and they're important to remember as we discuss in context of psychological operations. As I said, though, the official information wasn't the only thing causing a stir. There were definitely some rather serious hot takes being disseminated, which made the prime conspiracy theory fodder for the media and skeptics to mock. Worry had spread that this operation was just a cover for an actual implementation of martial law. With martial law and military occupation, the resulting events would occur. One, confiscation of firearms. Two, the eventual confiscation of private property, and finally, three, the internment of civilians resisting occupation or deemed combative. And yes, some folks that didn't believe takeover was imminent even suggested then of PSYOPs meant to acclimate the public to military occupation for future increases in federal presence and control, if not outright martial law itself. These assertions were very real concerns amongst a small 
but vocal percentage of the population, and definitely the driving force behind state political leaders making a show of asking questions and getting assurances from the Pentagon. While these were baseless and easily discredited the moment Jade Helm 15 began, they did serve a purpose within the context of PSYOP activity. Let's put together the most extreme scenario, which was held by the smallest few of the public and yet given the most coverage. Then we'll make the critics happy and destroy the argument. With this scenario, the Obama administration, via the U.S. military, would use the training exercise to occupy locally strategic areas within Texas and Utah, presumably near military supply depots and defensible facilities. While these were small towns and private properties, they were also the areas most likely for the population to own firearms and other weapons. They would also be the areas most likely to originate pockets of resistance. Please go watch Red Dawn, because this is where this comes from, and it's the reason it works so well in media play. So before resistance could begin, firearms would be confiscated, private property would be controlled, and then arrests would begin for those that resisted. Those that refused to turn over weapons or tried to defend their property would be imprisoned at makeshift internment camps, which were converted Walmart stores that had recently been abruptly closed and emptied. The large yet sparsely populated rural areas would then be controlled by the federal government surrounding the unsuspecting urban areas that have paid little attention to what is occurring outside the city limits. Voila, military control, and violation of pretty much the entire Bill of Rights, all under the guise of a training exercise. Scary, isn't it? Well, it didn't happen. Not in the least bit. Not just because there had been no intention of it happening by President Obama and his administration, but also because it's almost impossible to do. First of all, seizure of firearms is prevented by the Second Amendment. Personal property is protected by the Third and Fourth Amendments, and the Fifth Amendment protects the public from both property seizure and imprisonment without due process. So what, right? The President's the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. Can't he just decide he wants to toss the Constitution out the window and invade U.S. soil? No, not at all. This is prevented by the Posse de Comitatis Act of 1878. This act expressly prohibits the use of U.S. military forces to perform tasks of civilian law enforcement, such as arrest, apprehension, interrogation, and detention, unless specifically authorized by Congress. It's essentially the limit of, of power for the federal government in the use of federal military personnel within the borders of the United States. Granted, it doesn't eliminate the power of the president to declare martial law, but they may do so only in the event that local law enforcement and court systems have ceased to function. So, unless you think enough of Congress would agree, under any president, to allow such an action, it wasn't going to happen. It's nearly impossible while the U.S. government operates and functions under current law. Now, you should ask, if that's the case, why did anybody believe it? Well, it would seem to me that we believed it because we were supposed to. We were primed for suspicion. The explanation just discussed is not the discrediting dismissal that the skeptics so heavily crave. While these more alarmist theories weren't true, 
explaining them away does not change or explain the perception provided by the officially released information. Even the Russian bot explanation doesn't make the conspiracy go away, but we'll get into that later. First, let's explain the official material used during the announcement to the public. The logo, the motto, and the map. These things are all marketing materials, easily explained, and visually, they are very impactful to the public. The logo is actually the operation insignia, a sword crossed with two arrows and overlaid with a translucent, semi-transparent shoe. All right, it's, it's a clog, but we'll call it a shoe. It's just more universally recognized as a shoe than something else, I suppose, without the oppressive connotation of a boot that might be equally recognized. I came across explanations as extreme as satanic symbolism due to the use of medieval weaponry and a ghostly clog. Yes, they're weapons, and it does give an aggressive impression, but the sword and crossed arrows are not a use of sinister secret symbolism. Actually, it's just a common insignia design within the 1st Special Forces Command based at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, at least as far as I could tell. It's used atop various colored shields by which different operation groups are identified. It's heraldry, a standard under which a military group operates. As for the clog, well, I have no idea to be honest. I couldn't find a specific explanation or previous use. But those of you listeners in the military with familiarity, please send me your thoughts. If I were to hazard a guess, I'd say it conveys operational goals. A transparent shoe implies near invisible movement and operation. I would say the goal was to be behind the scenes. And if you think about it, if that was the case, then it was a very successful operation in that regard. The operation was nearly undetectable once it officially started and through its entire planned period of performance. Now that's the logo, but what about the motto, Mastering the Human Domain? That's actually one of the more interesting aspects of this whole discussion. It certainly implies domination over a native population. Martial law hardly seems a stretch when interpreting control over a population quote-unquote domain. Fortunately, as with the operations insignia, the motto has an explanation rooted within the mission of the SOCOM itself. It was suggested to me that the human domain had a specific significance within special operations. So that gave me a starting point of research. Now, I'll be honest, it took a while for me to dig up a good explanation, mainly because I'm as civilian as they come, and I, I didn't quite know where to start. But fortunately, I came across a paper written by Special Operations Command expressly discussing operations within the human domain. Let's start with a definition of human domain as is defined by SOCOM Strategic Guidance Document Operating in the Human Domain, OHD. The human domain consists of people, including individuals, groups, and populations, in the environment, including their perceptions, decision-making, and behavior. Of course, th this definition frames people as a field of operation, much as one would also define geography or political atmosphere as a field of operation. As much as you would plan to operate and interact within a given terrain, it stands to reason that you would make as much effort to plan the operation 
within a given population. While I'm sure the idea of the human domain is not new, this document, dated August 2015, absolutely frames the operation of special forces within this domain of people as a new and strategic goal for success in future environments. The guidance states, quote, success in the human domain depends on an understanding of and competency in the social, cultural, physical, informational, and psychological elements that influence human behavior. Operations in the human domain strengthen the resolve, commitment, and capability of partners, earn the support of neutral actors in the environment, and take away backing and assistance from adversaries. If successful in these efforts, special operations forces will gain military, political, and psychological advantages over their opponents. The OHD concept integrates existing capabilities and disciplines into an updated and comprehensive approach that is applicable to all special operation forces core activities, end quote. Now, when I say that this guidance document outlines and reframes the human domain as a new strategic goal, I don't mean outline only. This isn't some pamphlet. It's 80 plus pages and discusses fundamentals, required capabilities, implication of this operational approach, and had six appendices attached just to make sure you get the point. It's extensive and in-depth, and it's no accident that this was released during the Jade Helm operation. It is related to it completely, and we'll get to that later as we summarize. Rather than walk through this document section by section, it's included in the show notes. For those of you that are now interested in this world of special operations, it is definitely worth a read. Ultimately, it provides the explanation for the Jade Helm 15 operation motto, Mastering the Human Domain. It's literally the goal of the exercise. In the foreword of the OHD guidance, U.S. Army General Joseph Votel expresses the intent rather effectively. Quote, if Special Operation Forces works together toward a shared vision to account for the elements that influence human behavior, we can achieve strategic and operational success with more surety and efficiency. This means designing and executing operations and campaigns with the strategic outcome in mind and optimizing these outcomes by considering the human elements throughout the design and execution process. The timing is right to unleash the full potential of operating in the human domain. Special operation forces must continue to lead and pioneer this endeavor into the future. End quote. And finally, the map. The inciting political hot potato that is the Jade Helm 15 operational map. For the public, it did nothing more than pick a fight. The Texas residents were angry because they were being targeted for disagreeing with the current presidential administration. The Utah residents were surprised and annoyed that they were being lumped in with the crazy Texans, and all the designated friendly states just nodded in agreement that Utah and Texas were probably the most likely problem states anyway, and they should just stop complaining. It's a dumb document to allow release to a public for which you're trying to garner cooperation for a training exercise. That is, of course, unless the goal is to shape the public perception to actually reflect the map for training purposes. So, I, I really was not able to find any information specifically speaking 
to the Jade Helm 15 map, but there were references to exercise being conducted and how those used identifiers. Since this is then all conjecture on my part, keep that in mind as this is simply a possible and reasonably plausible explanation for the map. The use of red and blue, while seemingly incendiary in intent, seems to be standard practice within Special Operations Force training exercises. Red and blue are primary colors, easily identifiable and in contrast for easy visual separation. It's the same reason red and blue are used in political tracking maps as well. As for the choice and assignment of hostile areas, that makes sense in the context of framing the human domain for the exercise. Remember, human domain is now an operational area, not just geography. The perceptions and decision-making thought process of the populations now come into play. Texas and Utah were both oppositional states in the most recent presidential election. Additionally, they, along with most states, regardless of political leanings, are very supportive of the military. By labeling them as hostile, you have now fed on the very fear that was prevalent following the election of President Barack Obama. Then they feel betrayed by the very military for which they're so supportive. As well, both Texas and Utah are states born out of independent mindsets. Texas through independence from Mexico and independent statehood. Utah through a desire to develop a free and independent home for a disenfranchised religious population. The icing on the cake was labeling the neighboring states as friendly and conveniently identifying states that happened to lean in favor of the current administration. Then it became obvious that the delineator was political. They were being targeted in their minds. Of course, for the purpose of a training exercise, any of those states could have been labeled friendly or hostile. It could have been a matter of simply picking the two most populated states or the least populated. The coordinators could have decided based on the least favorite sports team for all that it mattered, but they didn't. It was a very calculated decision based on real-world human environments. There was context to the identification. The proverbial pump was primed. All that had to be done was release the information. That is, as we have learned, exactly what PSYOP entails. This is equivalent to telling your kids that the cookies that they didn't know you had are in the cookie jar, and they shouldn't eat them while you're out running errands because they need to save room for broccoli at supper. You already know what the outcome will be, even if the kids think that they're acting against your wishes. The moment the map was released, the reaction was exactly as the planners envisioned, because the map was built on a context already prepared for the subsequent reaction. Utah and Texas suddenly became hostile to the operation, and the friendly states were friendly because, well, everyone likes a compliment. Howdy, theoriologists. Have you ever heard of pink pills for pale people? Ever considered trying the delicacy of tilapia-wrapped bear claw? Have you ever been to Kokomo, Indiana? Well, if random trivia is your thing, and you like a little challenge, have I got a podcast for you. Join me and fellow podcasters, Moxie from Your Brain on Facts, Sean, host of Stories of Your and Yours, and Eric from Fan Theory World, as we take each other on to task in a quiz show styled roundtable, offering up truths and lies 
challenging ourselves to determine what is truth and what is fiction. In our premier Patreon-exclusive show, Spot the Lie, Patreon members at any level have access to this new show. This, along with other rewards, comes at the cost of less than a cup of coffee each month. And your support, as always, helps to grow Conspiracy Theoryology. Now, if you're ready to support the show, give Spot the Lie a listen, or just curious about what else Patreon has to offer, go to patreon.com slash conspiracy theoryology to check out my page. Then stick around and search out your other favorite podcasts. Now, back to the show. So, we finally know what all these things meant. With such simple, albeit interesting, explanations, we again go back to our initial question. Why did Jade Helm 15 permeate the public imagination so drastically, and more so than any training exercise really before or since? The answer seems twofold, and culminated into a perfect storm of events to ignite a near-Hollywood blockbuster narrative of speculation. First, it was planned that way. The operation was planned out as they all are. There are specific groups assigned to participate, a designated command of the operation, a specific mission goal and target lesson or area of practice and improvement. It was, like every other training exercise, intended to simulate, as much as possible, a real mission environment. But this had a new twist. All the usual stuff that is developed for the participants, in proper context, was also released and disseminated to the public and taken completely out of context. The insignia looks intimidating if you don't know its history. The motto sounds threatening without familiarity of the human domain operating environment. Then the map becomes a catalyst, confirming every suspicion. Remember, operating in the human domain was a new mission directive meant to address a new global environment. While there is little doubt that all the special operations forces were aware of the intrinsic need to operate within a local population, the idea of that population and their perceptions being identified as a specific operating environment was new. The public reaction to a closed military training exercise does not appear to be something anticipated by the participating groups, and it put them off guard. Remember the town hall meeting that took place in Bastrop? When there had been a perfect time to explain the components of the operation, like what the insignia represented, or why human domain required mastery. They could have ex even explained the map in a, in a, with a superficial justification, that it was purely for training purposes, designed to reflect the latest presidential election because it was simulating a real-world scenario in which political change in a foreign environment had caused public divide. I mean, that sounds reasonable to me. But they didn't. In fact, the lieutenant colonel that spoke with the Bastrop residents appeared to have been broadsided by the public reaction, focusing on why it was okay that uh, a huge operation was occurring because landowners had volunteered their property. The explanations given didn't address any of the actual concerns held by the public. The training operation had already started, the catalyst introduced, and the training participants were already dealing with training objective number one. How do you interact with a hostile local population? Oh, and the plan didn't just involve introducing confusing information. 
but withholding it as well. What better way to establish a hostile population than to turn the local media against your efforts by announcing with certainty that your activities would be closed to journalists? Now, anecdotally, for me to understand this, I thought back to my days as a Boy Scout. Now, I can tell you there is no better way to make a scout understand the value of a compass and the ability to read a map than to take him into the woods and convince him that you're already lost. Now, that was a long part one of an answer, and it explains quite a bit, but it certainly doesn't explain the culmination into a public frenzy of suspicion and accusations of conspiracy. To get to that, we have to add the second half of this explanation, the unplanned variables and external influences. I know we dispelled the extreme theories regarding the intention of Jade Helm 15, but that does not negate their influence, nor the part they played in escalating the public mindset. These ideas did not come out of nowhere, whole cloth. The public did not think the world was perfect before Jade Helm was announced. Distrust had been brewing. Gun control has been and continues to be a major platform for the Democratic Party in the U.S., The public had, at that point, also over a decade to really begin recoiling at restrictions due to homeland protection actions, and property rights were an issue. Just in 2014, Americans watched the Bundy Ranch showdown unfold, during which the issues of federal jurisdiction were being discussed. And of course, the political divide was palpable. Also, the U.S., well, the world really, was facing a new adversary in ISIS, for which many uh, of the American public felt the president was sympathetic. In fact, actually, it seems that ISIS influence and methods were a primary influence for the introduction of the human domain concept and why training in that area was required, almost ironically. If you were a a gun-owning, religious conservative with private property, you had already spent the last several years being vilified in the media as an archaic relic of American oppression and imperialism. When the military showed up to practice on private land beneath a cloak of secrecy and media blackout, I mean, come on, it doesn't take a conspiracy theorist to draw conclusions. Oh, and and the last straw, I mean, the best part, the real wild card, those Walmart internment camps. This was an actual conspiracy that fed right into the Jade Helm theories. In April of 2015, Walmart, the high-volume discount giant, announced the closing of five stores around the U.S. In a single day, representatives from corporate entered those stores, gathered the employees, and explained that the store would be closing by that evening. All this due to, quote-unquote, plumbing issues. Hundreds of employees suddenly displaced over plumbing issues, apparently drastic enough to shut a retail facility immediately. Questioning by the media only weakened the already frail excuse. The stores were not of the same design, nor constructed by the same contractor. There also had been no construction permit requests submitted by Walmart in those cities. Walmart had a reason for closing those stores abruptly, but it certainly wasn't plumbing, as publicly stated. I mean, that's the definition of a conspiracy, by the way. There are a whole host of ideas that came about from those closures. Weapons stockpiles, secret installations housing subterranean tunnels, death camps, and, of course, internment facilities. These closures could not have had worse timing for the Jade Helm operation. 
At the end of the day, Jade Helm fears became something much greater than the sum of its parts. The planned and anticipated resistance from the hostile populations were escalated exponentially beyond intention due to the existing social-political climate and external controversies that added fuel to the carefully crafted fire. Resistance nearly became rebellion, and a normally supportive public became a suspicious and distrusting population. Talk about realistic military training. In the end, I'm sure it was a productive exercise. Training operations after this appear to carry much more mundane operational names, and the flow of information seems to be much more controlled. If the goal was to prove the value of psychological operations and the need to understand the operational field of the human domain, I think it succeeded. Maybe the conspiracy wasn't to take over private property, confiscate our guns and families, and implement martial law, but there certainly was a conspiracy. We all realize now that the local population was an integral part of the operation. We were unwitting actors in this designed exercise to interact with a hostile native population. I mean, do you like the idea that you were drawn into a secret psyop? Would it bother you less if you had been cast as one of the friendly natives? Or are you just glad it's over and people stop talking about it? Maybe it's not. That brings us back to those infuriating Russian bots before we wrap up this whole discussion. I will tease this discussion a bit because you'll be able to find a full conversation of a critical article regarding what is effectively titled The Propaganda of Russian Propaganda. The idea that three years after the Jade Helm exercise, someone felt the need to provide an explanation for what caused all the uproar is suspicious in itself. As we've discussed, all the causes of the public frustration were very well known. The information came from U.S. SOCOM itself, as well as the actions of a private company. The rest was simply due to an active political climate. No one wondered where unfounded claims came from. Even if someone did, we know the answer. So why offer up the explanation of Russian disinformation? Well, once that claim was made, the media outlets picked it up and repeated the information pretty much word for word. No pushback. The public seemed perfectly comfortable with the idea that the big bad Russians would mess with our lives through internet bots, whether they knew what a bot was or not. Now let's go back. In 2016, the Washington Post released an extensive report about all the media outlets that had apparently been affected through Russian influence. After that, everything in Washington, D.C. surrounding controversial investigations and the approaching presidential campaign season suddenly became a product of Russian intervention and collusion. You should be able to see what happened there. Take an actual event that spiraled into a public relations nightmare, pivot the blame toward an external influence, and observe the reaction. What better way to validate all the claims of Russian intervention during the 2016 election than to establish that the same intervention and disinformation campaign had been a driving influence in other previous events, perhaps in its entirety. Russian disinformation ultimately is overblown and overplayed, and patrons can hear that discussion over at patreon.com slash conspiracy theoryology. Now, I understand that in the grand scheme of things of historical conspiracies, Jade Helm seems like a blip, 
I've spent three episodes discussing it, and many of you probably didn't even remember it occurring. So how can I claim that it permeated the zeitgeist, or that understanding it even matters? Well, I think it does. The feeling of being manipulated and unwittingly coerced into psychological operations is something that grates at our psyche. So much so that for some, it was simply much easier to believe there was never anything strange in the first place, or later, to accept the handoff of the suspicion to a cause that is external. For the rest that suspected something was not right and that real intentions were being hidden, it would appear they were onto something. Maybe they didn't get it perfect, and it's easy to dismiss them as conspiracy theorists. But they were not completely wrong. Now, I'll say again, these conclusions are ultimately all rational conjecture on my part, nothing more. I can't confirm these suspicions, and it wouldn't be a conspiracy if I could. For all of you that are more intimately familiar with these sort of military activities, I would love to hear from you. Please contact me with your thoughts. I'll even put together a follow-up episode if there's enough corrected information that needs to be relayed. Oh, and finally, as for those Walmart stores, what really happened? Well, we found out in January of 2016 when Walmart, after the initial test of closing five stores in 2015, announced that they would be closing over 260 stores globally including another 150 in the United States, all to restructure their, uh, their finances and their cost structure in order to better compete with the online marketplace. That's all it was. Why they found the need to blame uh, plumbing problems, we'll never know. Perhaps because of the immediate displacement that they caused in those communities. All right, everybody. Thanks again for joining me today. As always, I ask that you click that follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss the discussion. As always, you can email me at contact at conspiracytheriology.com or find me on the socials at TheriologyPod. And if you really just want a good laugh, remember the pilot episode of Spot the Lie is over on my Patreon page. A few podcasting friends and I talking to each other and taking each other to task in the style of Two Truths and a Lie. And I can tell you, it was hilariously fun. In fact, we're already working on the second episode, so don't miss it. As always, all the info can be found at conspiracytheoryology.com, including how to support the show on Patreon. Music is by adamhenrygarcia.bandcamp.com. All right, so until next time, remember, beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology. Theoryology.